0: Welcome to episode 43 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of Reddit director J.J. Abrams and his greater Bad Robot universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inostroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host Matt Crandall. And on this edition of the show, we'll be talking about Lost, season 2, episodes 20 through 22. So the first episode in that batch is the episode entitled... Two for the road so with all that being said and out of the way matt what do you think of this particular episode
1: so i really liked two for the road this is starting the home stretch of season two stuff really starts to ramp up in these final episodes the mythology the character development the action that we've been waiting for and of course two for the road having a double meaning because in the flashbacks, we see that Anna Lucia went with Christian Shepherd, Jack's dad, to Sydney, which is how she got in Sydney in the first place, after she resigns from being a cop and becomes an airport security agent. So I loved that that was one aspect of it. And then, of course, the more obvious meaning of Two for the Road is that by the end of this episode, two of our main cast members get into a deadly situation that at the time that this aired, I remember being completely shocked by, partly because who pulls the trigger and partly because these characters were both added this season and for them to have sort of a one and done aspect to their characters was very surprising. Marcelo, did that catch you by surprise or did you feel like they were building towards this?
0: When I first saw this episode with my grandmother, this episode, like you really floored the crap out of me but I would have to say in this particular rewatch since I knew where we were going I thought by the time that we got to this particular episode and what happened to two of our main cast members I was really incensed and kind of pissed off now you might think wait a minute is he drunk because he's been bagging on Anna Lucille ever since she showed up but Like you said, Matt, a couple episodes ago, um, Michelle Rodriguez, for some reason, has been like a happy fungus on my brain. (laughs) She's been growing and growing and growing. And and, and the more that I have watched her on this rewatch, I begin to sympathize with her situation and I begin to actually care about her. But as Matt alluded to, she meets her unfortunate end in this episode and it's not her death that bothers me so much. It's what happens immediately following her death. I thought that was ridiculous and unnecessary. And the person who did it, I mean, I mean, you might think that he deserves some sympathy for what he's done, being that the others put him in this situation. But still, I will never forgive this individual for what he did to Anna Lucille and for what he did to another individual. With all that being said, my favorite part of this particular episode, Two for the Road, would have to be the Christian Shepherd flashback stuff. Because this might be surprising to you, Matt, but I really find myself connecting more and more with Christian Shepherd throughout all these flashbacks that he's been in throughout uh, the, the course of the first two seasons of Lost. When we started this rewatch, I really detested Christian because I just thought that he was a bad father figure and he didn't give Jack the love that he deserved, as we've said on countless occasions but I really think when his character is boiled down I think that Christian is a tragic figure and the one thing that I was most intrigued by with the flashbacks for this particular episode is that Christian and Anna Lucille go to like this trailer park and Christian starts banging on this door and we are led to believe that Christian has another family so i was like this is interesting where did this come from did the writers you know just put that little cog into christian's story like to be like a dangling character or are they gonna pay it off at some juncture moving forward but i thought this episode was like taking a giant depression pill and not having a gun to shoot myself with because this episode. <laughs> was entertaining, but it was awful.
1: Yeah, it was definitely awful. And part of it, they are adding a lot more sympathy to Christian as a character in these flashbacks, having him and Anna go on this trip together and how the episode ends up is so frustrating because we know that Jack is never going to know that this happened, that him and Analusia Lucia had this connection. And Analusia Lucia can also give Jack more information that backs up what Sawyer said about his dad that will partly give Jack that closure. He got a good chunk of it from Sawyer, but this would be sort of the final nail in putting that to rest for Jack and he's never going to know it. The on-island action, Analusia. Lucia Goes to talk to Henry alone. He says, you know, you killed two of us, two really good people. And then he tries to choke her out and Locke saves her. People get hit on the head with shit all the time on Lost. And this was another he knocks Henry out with his crutch. So I liked that she had a close call, which kind of starts to frame this episode as her swan song, because she has a close call and Libby has a nice afternoon with Hurley, even though it's not the perfect afternoon that Hurley thought it should be. These are kind of TV tropes that they do throw in on many episodes that are going to be people's final episodes. They either have A perfect day or like a close call that you think they escaped and then they don't escape the next close call and having michael come back was cool at first and then when we start to realize in those final moments that the others have gotten to michael this is all part of the scheme to get walt back is he had to come back release henry and infiltrate his group and that ana lucia and libby are collateral damage again shows how laser-focused on getting Walt back Michael is, but is also so infuriating that these characters just showed up on the island 20 episodes ago. And now we're already saying goodbye to them, partly because the reaction, I think, of fans was not that they loved these characters. And also, it's one of those shock value, like, haha, you didn't think we would do this. But Hurley finally has this cool character to interact with. There was a lot more going on with Libby that we still don't know about because we know that she's a patient from that ward. And it feels like a lot of that is just going to be buried and dead along with these characters. And that aspect frustrated me, but I remember screaming at the TV when this episode aired and Michael shoots himself and you're like, you son of a bitch.
0: The one thing that I will say about Michael's betrayal, I couldn't understand it. Listen, I know what it feels like to be helpless and not be able to get someone from your family that you want back. I know what that feels like, but I could never imagine. I could never take somebody's life to protect a person that I love. I'm just not built that way. And like you said, Matt, to see one of our original losties do something that drastic and that backstabbing was just so fucking annoying. We said it episodes ago, but if Michael would have just sat down with Jack and a couple other of the Losties and gone after the others together, this shit would have never happened. Yeah. It would have never happened. And I don't know if it would have been better. What do you think would have happened if Michael would have sat down with a select group, and they would have actually gone after the others together. Do you think that we would have gotten as a satisfying storyline as we got if the writers would have gone in a different direction?
1: I think that you lose the shock value of the twists and turns that these last few episodes take. But I've said all along that Michael needs to realize these people are on his team because they have bonded since the crash. So if he were to have come back and say, guys, I was with the others They said they will give me Walt back in exchange for you. I'm going to bring you four to this spot. But since you know it's a trap and you know it's a thing, once I get Walt back, we turn on them and then get the F out of there. Like, I feel like there is definitely a more rational, level-headed plan of attack and Michael never goes for it. He never starts to play out scenarios in his mind, because he's so panicked and distressed, which is super frustrating. And from like a writer's point of view, I know that they're just thinking, oh, he's not thinking things through. He's reactionary and that's the justification, and it's more sensationalized if they go this route, but I keep thinking like it also would be just as effective if they all teamed up in some sort of master plan. You don't get to pull the rug out from underneath us by killing off characters and having that betrayal come out of nowhere, but I think it still would have worked.
0: No, and the last thing I'll say about this episode before we move on, when Michael opens up the gun safe and uh henry gale stands up the only thing that i had running through my head is a particular speech the greatest trick that the devil ever played was making be- making you believe that he didn't exist and just mm-hmm. like that like a whisper in the wind he's gone and i was like right. god damn it mr henry gale you're awesome but i want to shoot you <laughs> all right so with all that craziness either way move we move on to the next episode which is simply entitled question what did you think of that one matt so i really
1: enjoyed this episode as well not as much as the previous episode but this one is a echo flashback and we find out more about echo's time as a priest investigating this miracle that supposedly happened he has a run-in with the fortune teller psychic who put Claire on the plane. So I love that sort of back connection and finding Echo's journey as he found his spirituality, how Yemi fit into that. And certainly the on-island action is mostly driven by Echo having this vision that him and John have to go to the question mark. So Yemi tells him get Locke to take you to the question mark and Echo then demands that Locke do this because obviously when those blast doors came down, one of the main symbols in the black light on the map of the island was a question mark. Echo and Locke go on this mission under the guise of trying to track down Henry after he escapes. And Michael had set him free, but Echo really only cares about this question mark and is not that interested in tracking down where fake Henry Gale went. And I also like that in this episode, we find out that Libby is not immediately dead. So there is still some hope that as Jack works on her and tries to revive her and keep her alive, the look on Michael's face when he finds out that he didn't complete the job is priceless. And we are just fingers crossed that she's going to be able to come around enough to get out the words that she needs to. And of course, by the end of this episode, she almost does, but she doesn't get it all out before she takes her final breath. And it's one of those infuriating moments where you just wish that she had been able to rat Michael out so that we would be able to deal with this quickly instead of dragging on the dramatic irony that we know Michael killed them And the Losties think Michael is a victim in all this.
0: I thought that this episode was wonderful for two reasons. I thought that this episode had an interesting religious tint to it. Uh, You've mentioned before that you don't like when Lost gets too metaphysical and too religious so based on that acumen that you mentioned in uh uh, previously what did you think of the religious overtones in this specific episode
1: you know what i don't mind some of the religious symbolism i feel like when they try and overlap that with the weird psycho supernatural like echoes visions maybe being some sort of spiritual intervention that's the kind of stuff i kind of push away a bit from but this one definitely has a lot more of all of that. So I don't mind the explicitly religious, but when it becomes like a melding of like the religious and supernatural, that's where I start to go, eh, not for me.
0: But wouldn't you say they kind of did that just a little bit with- uh, Mr. Echo seeing Yemi in the forest?
1: Oh, they definitely did. That's why I, this is my least favorite
0: of this batch, I think. Um, and now moving on to the other point I wanted to make about this episode. My theory was proven correct. It was all a social experiment. The button, the hatches, that's it. That is it. It was all a social experiment. Matt, what do you think about my theory of being correct? Because when they found another station, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I was correct because I totally didn't remember that i totally blocked that out of my head and when they went down there and when they saw the video explaining what this surveillance station was for i was like oh my god i was right
1: when they find that station which is called the pearl and they go in and that tv monitoring room which almost looks like something out of the matrix sequels but a little bit dialed down they go in and they watch that orientation and we find out that yes, this is the monitoring station that oversees the other people's experiment where basically the guy in the video who we used to know as Marvin Candle gives a different name in this video and does say that we have these people pushing this button for no reason just to see if they'll do it and you have to keep a journal of what happens. And I thought what was fascinating was your point is proven, but the differing reactions between Echo and Locke was the most interesting part of this entire episode, because when Locke gets this information, he thinks that's a wrap on pushing the button, it's pointless, I was not special, I was not chosen, this is all a joke, and Echo goes the other way and goes full on, this is my destiny, we have to push the button, this video proves it. And I thought that swap of ideology where Locke is immediately disillusioned and totally willing to abandon everything he has believed for the last couple of episodes. And Echo, who has been more focused on building a church, abandons that because he now thinks that pushing the button is the most important thing going on right now, which was really surprising and weird. And what did you think of that, Marcelo?
0: I have to echo your thoughts about Locke losing 100% the will and the faith to push the button after hearing that tape in the station because I really thought that Locke's faith would have served him a little bit better. Because up until Echo and Locke find the station, Locke has been really presented as a man of faith. And just for the sake of what I'm talking about, Jack has been presented as a man of science. I really found it difficult to believe that one little thing could push Locke's belief system all the way to the other side. On that particular note, I was like, this is bullshit. I was like, Mm -hmm. really? Someone who believes in something so much is given a single piece of information and then that's it? They quit? I just don't buy that. I'm sorry, but I just don't buy that for a single second. Yeah, it's one of those hard sells that just seemed out of nowhere. If John eventually gets back his faith and his mission... Eventually, I'll accept that. But for that one particular instance, I was like, this is bullshit. I kind of understand why the writers did this. But another piece of interesting little material that we found out after echo and john found this station we know that this station has a camera and surveys all the other ones so i'm like isn't somebody gonna like start playing with this specific station and find out what michael
1: did right and that's immediately when they got there i thought oh they're gonna be able to rewind the tape and see the footage but as we find out it looks like that's not the case because you have to Log everything in a journal and it doesn't seem like there is any recorder. But that's immediately what I hoped was going to happen when they saw that there was all this surveillance. I also thought they were going to maybe look longer at the other TVs and eventually maybe see like another group of people somewhere that we've never met to sort of throw that into the mix and wonder where that station is. Because even though they have this rudimentary map that Locke is drawing from memory, we still don't know where all the stations are but I did like that the weird stuff in this station with the pneumatic tubes and all of the terminals and the journals, it added a lot of cool, weird intrigue. And certainly by the end of this episode, you know, Locke is done with the hatch, Echo is full on with the hatch, but I have even more questions about what was the point of this experiment anyway? And can you take anything in this video that they watched as being true? Because it's saying, yeah, those other films we're part of a social experiment but is this video also part of the same experiment is there a greater thing at play still that we don't know about
0: i personally don't think that there is a difference between this video that uh Locke and echo found today and the original video that they found in the hatch i think it's all part of a giant ploy by the dharma initiative to just sort of rickroll everyone that they conned into doing this to just see if they would it's all a
1: giant pile of bullshit
0: yeah it's just a pile of crap the other thing that i was wondering when they found all that equipment in the hatch surveilling all the other hatches on the island i thought we were going to see somebody in particular by the name of desmond i'm like where is that guy (laughs) you've been you've been asking where that guy is
1: and I promise you, we are getting closer to finding out, but not this week.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. So on that promising, hopeful note for me, we move on to the final episode that we're going to cover this week, entitled Three Minutes. So Matt, what do you think of that one? I liked Three Minutes quite a bit. And this is another, every once in a while, we
1: get these flashback episodes that are not pre-island flashbacks. Now it is another what happened in the time that michael had been away we start on the island with the alarm sounding in the hatch and michael is still not found out he has technically gotten away with these murders but then we flash back to i think 13 days previous and we see michael on the computer talking to walt walt says you've got to come and get me now look for the big rock with a hole in the middle head north and so we see the events that took place when michael disappeared when jack sawyer went after him when kate got captured by the others the whole flip side of the meeting with mr friendly alex in the jungle so lots of the gaps in the michael storyline get filled in in this some in a more satisfying way than others and Certainly, the on island action is mostly about Michael insisting that when they go get Walt, only four specific people come with him, no one else. He keeps hitting this point over and over again in a way that by the end of the hour arouses Saeed's suspicions in a round of applause moment where Saeed says to Jack, I think Michael has been compromised. This son of a bitch is acting squirrely. Saeed finally. For the last, you know, episode and a half, we have been wanting someone to realize that something is messed up with Michael. And of course, it is our best bullshit detector, Saeed, who realizes it by episode's end. And that moment literally had me cheering. I was like, yes, I can't wait to see where this is going. And filling in those gaps adds a lot more to the Michael backstory of why he did what he did. Still not in the most satisfying way, because as we mentioned, he could have just come clean and arranged some other sort of plan. But it was nice to see Alex in the flashbacks, Russo's daughter. And this is the only part that I don't necessarily love in the moments here is we get a flashback where Michael meets one of the heads of the others, Miss Clue, who does nothing but add a million more questions to everything. And again, gives another speech that accuses Michael of not caring about his son because he knows nothing about him. But the only reason the guy knows nothing about him is because they spent so many years apart And he's now trying to make up for that and it's something that the lost writers keep hitting that like bugs the shit out of me because this guy is trying to make amends for his past with his son and they keep hammering you know nothing about your son so therefore you are a bad father when it was never michael's fault that he was so estranged from walt because every time he tried to reach out walt was Kept from
0: him. They keep hitting that point again and it makes me mad. I hated this fucking episode so much until Saeed approached Jack and said, you know, I think Michael is compromised. I think he's a little squirrely. I wanted to just take Kate, Jack, and Sawyer, and I wanted to smack them across the head because it's so it was so fucking ridiculous. That Michael kept insisting that, no, these specific people have to come with me and we have to go get the others. Why would he insist on these specific people coming with him if he just wanted to get his son back? I don't understand. I couldn't understand. Sorry, guys. I'm going going—I'm going a little nuts because this is really pissing me off. Yeah, I couldn't. I'm, I'm going to calm down in just a second. He's I- a
1: real jerk in this episode. That's for sure.
0: Enough of that ranting and raving for a second. I do agree with you, uh, Matt, that I think that the Lost Writers have done a disservice to his character because, like you said, the only reason that Michael doesn't know anything about Walt is because of the situation that the writers put him in in the first place. I really think that they are going way too far in what Michael is trying to do to redeem himself. I mean, to me, there's only so far that a character can go before... He becomes irredeemable. And I have a particular scene running through my head. And I do think that this is where Michael and Walt's story is going to end. And I particularly am not looking forward to that either. Because that pisses me off as well. Him meeting the supposed leader of the others, uh, Mrs. Clue, is was a, was a bunch of bullshit. Because all she did was ask more questions and berate Michael on being a bad father. Yeah, And... The other thing that I that I was saying to myself as the scene was playing was like, you're not the real leader. You are another smoke monster, for the lack of a better word, for the real leader of the others. You're not Kaiser Sozek. Right. You are not the person we want to see. So, guys, this episode really disappointed me and it really enraged the crap out of me. The one thing that I really enjoyed was the final moments of this episode when all the Losties are at Anna Lucille and uh libby's funeral and all of a sudden a son goes boat and they all turn around and they see a boat off in the distance i'm like who the fuck is on that boat guys i'm sorry for my negativity but this episode really disappointed the crap out of me uh so matt do you have anything else to say anything anything more positive to say about this episode because i think i pretty much buried it yeah i'll just
1: add uh two things one thing i do want to say is that when The woman came out and said her name was Mrs. Clue. I've rolled my eyes so friggin' hard. I know that if you look it up, they spell it as K-L-U-G-H, but because this show is all about the C-L-U-E's to what's going on, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. They named a character Clue as in she's gonna be the clue to what's happening on this island? So that part was like a bridge too far in the meta, given a shot to the ribs of the fans for me. I was like, come on, give her a different name. This is ridiculous. That's the only negative I'll say. The two scenes that I actually liked a lot in this episode have nothing to do with Michael or his flashbacks. It is Charlie finding the stash of the Virgin Marys and chucking them all into the ocean once and for all. Getting this temptation off of his back Moving on, he chucks him and then he looks over and he sees that Locke saw him doing it, which is great. So like Locke knows Charlie has made this decision and is at peace with it. And he chucks those, that heroin monkey is off our back going forward. Thank God. Love that. And then the other scene, you know, I love scenes with with Jack and Sawyer together because when they have their back and forth, it's always great. And this one When they're getting the guns ready and sawyer says you know i didn't even know anna lucia's last name and jack says well it was cortez sawyer says yeah i screwed her (laughs) And, and jack's like what you know we got caught in a net that's how she got the gun and just the moment at the end of that scene which that scene was like a nice one of levity where you know sawyer's trying to confide in someone using that caught in a net which is not a euphemism for sex but sawyer thinks it is jack says like why are you telling me That really honest and earnest moment where Sawyer says, Doc, because you're the closest thing I got to a friend out here. That scene was funny and then like sweet and was like a nice interaction between these two dudes who have this adversarial relationship, even though they both have so much in common with their issues. They just come at things from a different angle that I liked that moment before that awesome ending of boat boat and seeing that boat on the horizon and wondering who is on that boat. And how are Saeed and Jack going to pull off this double cross, knowing that Michael is full of crap?
0: All right, guys. So on that positive note, I think uh, that's a wrap for this edition of Radio 815. Uh, Listen, if you guys like anything that we do on this lovely podcast, if you guys want to get in contact with us, there are so many ways to do that. Uh, The first is you can email us at Radio 815 at... AOL.com, or you can actually find us, JJUniverse815. So with all that being said and out of the way, Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach out to you and talk to you, what would be the best place for them to do so? The best
1: place is on Twitter, at Matt Crandall.
0: And if you guys want to reach me, the best place to do that is also on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. As always, from my co-host, Matt Crandall, my name is Marcelo Nistroza, saying... We'll talk back soon.